story oh, makers. Cool. Last week I was working on exceedingly short things that only I could see. <laughs> and that actually is pretty representative of the fact that I was feeling a little bit stuck. And, uh, you know, we talked about that piece of having the feeding of yourself, the feeding of the things that you need to do to get ideas, to get into that diffuse mode. And so this week I'm really focusing on uh, Julia Cameron's artist date idea. So uh, I actually have been looking at photos. There's a wonderful website and I'll see if I can find it and put it in the show notes that has a bunch of different kinds of photography from different eras. And that was really wonderful to engage with. Uh, You also got me a wonderful book on the history of pictures. So I'm also interested in engaging with that, listening to more kinds of music, just kind of getting out of my top 40 on the way to school world. (laughs) Awesome. I love it. Breaking free. Mm -hmm. yeah, so, um, you know, I'm just I'm just plugging away, and um, uh, one of the things that I'm thinking about now is actually my characters may be going in different directions. Like, I'm thinking, I'm actually, so I'm kind of letting myself do whatever I want, and I'm writing very quickly, but I am thinking about the steps, and I'm thinking, okay, I know what the inciting incident is, it's happening, but what is the act one decision going to be? Where are they each going to sort of take on the journey in a mm-hmm. certain way? And thinking about that is making me think they're going to take on different journeys. Like, right. you know, I have, def- I have these different characters and I think they're going to go in different directions. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm just curious what will happen next. All right. I am using those, those brainstorming steps to keep me going. Yeah, and actually there's a number of folks who suggest that, you know, rather than doing a large planning process ahead of time, I like doing that because I feel like it feeds me to be uh, more efficient and to get better uh, intuitive ideas later down the road. But a number of people will sit down and say, for five minutes of my 50-minute writing period, I'm going to just plan. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's what I'm going to write for today. So it sounds a little bit like you're moving into that little bit of a hybrid place where you're still sticking with, you know, oh, well, I wonder how that's going to pan out. But you are holding on to some, some uh, of the shape. Yeah. Shaping. Yeah. And I think it's also very helpful for me, actually, because the inciting incident is pretty big. And it's the kind of thing that I might have otherwise been tempted to, um, to move to be to position at the end but i actually think that you know sometimes it's like and, and i think this, our, our listener question will be kind of maybe related to this but sometimes like it's easy to go okay here's this big story event and let me build like build and build and build and build and build toward it and it'll be like the the big crisis mm-hmm. or the final battle when in fact it's much more exciting to make that big upheaval the inciting incident mm-hmm. and then build build from there right? right instead of building to there so that's kind of what i'm playing with as well nice all right well our question says the thing i have the most trouble with is taking ordinary actions of people and making them significant somehow many of the examples that i elizabeth bring to craft class he says that many of the examples you bring to craft craft class are just 
uh, those sorts of scenes, ones that hew closer to ordinary life than jumping off a New Orleans bridge, for example. I don't know quite how to be clear about this, but it has to do with dialogue, recognizing the subtext in human interactions, or perhaps inventing scenes that are just more normal. I don't think in those terms very well, and as a result, I feel my writing has a stiff, unreal quality that I would like to sand down. I think there's more than one question in there. <laughs> and, I, and I will say that I am not, um, like, I don't necessarily agree with this person's assessment of his own writing. And I think it's always interesting how we, how we throw a little self-critique into the mix. Right. But, um, but I love, but I love it, that, that phrasing anyway mm. is great. And, um, and I think, yeah, there are, there are a bunch of questions, but, but one of them is about the drama of small moments. Right. What, 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 what pops well, I think that, you know, sometimes it's easier for us to understand the stakes of jumping off a New Orleans bridge, but it's not as easy for us to understand the stakes of shutting up during dinner. Or, or putting the book down and talking. Or putting the book down and talking. So... And, and yet, funnily enough, sometimes the stakes in a big moment, the character stakes can, can get missed because mm-hmm. it seems so obvious, right? It seems it's more overtly life or death, more, more overtly dramatic, and we forget it has to matter to this character, right? Like right. that. Like, I mean, again, we talked about this last week as well, and but, you know, that with maybe because we're like at the six-month anniversary or whatever, the seven heading in past it with the fires. But, um, you know, that was such a dramatic event, and yet, and yet what would make it a story would depend on how it hit a particular character, right? What they were already mm-hmm. grappling with. And... So I, anyway, so I think, do you know what I mean? So I think the stakes right, can so, be clear sometimes, but not conveyed always. Right. And so, yeah, I think that stakes are the way you get to either of those being a compelling scene. And I think you're right. There might be a, a way in which we assume a reader would understand the stakes. So let's talk about how we show stakes, whether it's like an explosive well, this, car chase or a dinner. The stakes... Aren't hap- they don't come from the scene itself. They've been planted ahead of time. So you aren't in the middle of a car chase scene necessarily, uh, you know, like, okay, car chase. One car chase, there's a bomb in the back. And another car chase, there's a baby. <laughs> right? And so these are two different things completely. And yet... Um, you know, the importance of getting the baby to someone and the car chase then becomes the obstacles of getting that baby where it needs to be and everything's been set up before then. This, we know who the baby is, we know why the baby matters, we know all of those things, right? Presumably. Well, I'm saying if you're going to have it be stake. I don't think you can make up stakes in the scene. I think the stakes have to be established before. Well, what about the opening scene? I think you still imply that there's a history that you're bringing in. So what you're saying is not so much that, that, that the reader or viewer has to encounter the stakes ahead of time, but that the stakes are something the characters are dragging into the world that, that, well, that they things. don't happen suddenly in that moment. Well, two things. One, even your opening scene has a scene before it and that your characters are right. reacting to. So right. that's... But you're saying that the stakes are related to the history. Absolutely. What if there's a revelation? 
Yeah. I guess that's history, revealing the past. Yes. Um, realization, understanding your true feelings about something or understanding your... I mean, the stakes could go up. I realize I'm in love with you. Right. You know... But I guess it's still like I have been all along, not I never was, but I'm suddenly I realize I'm falling in love with you right this very second as we dangle off the bridge. Right. Or have dinner. So that's why I think it's confusing when we have those big moments, because they have two things intersecting. And one is when that person is careening through the streets, trying to get the baby to the place it needs to go. Um, there are two things at stake. And one is the failure, the, just the general failure to get the baby to where it needs to go. And the other is, will the baby and the person driving die? You know, so is this life or death at that particular moment, right? So I think that when you have something like a big action scene, there has to be this other piece. Like when you watch the but, beginning okay, of a James... Both of those things, what, will the baby die and what, will the baby get to the, the mm-hmm. you know X place are about what will happen in the future. Mm-hmm. But you're saying the stakes are, are from... Right, because we all... So we're wondering what's going to happen. That's that question. What's going to happen gonna is happen? inherently right, about the, the future. future. So the reason we feel invested in a particular scene is because we're worrying about the future. What is going to be the mm-hmm. outcome of this particular thing? But the reason we care about the outcome is because of where we've been. And it would suggest that, you know, the opening dynamic scene of a James Bond movie where he's doing all the crazy stuff isn't as effective or emotionally engaging as the stuff that happens later in the film when we've reconnected with James Bond, even though he's less of a character Mm -hmm. and less of a, you know, than we would maybe imagine in a novel, right? Um, because we've spent time and we start seeing this person as more of a person. In this, right... Are we talking um, about Elizabeth Strout? Yeah. Anything is possible. So we, we, we brought Exhibit A, Elizabeth Strout, Anything is Possible. If you don't know in that opening story <laughs> what... So Angie's reading this opening story and she turns to me and she says, is he just going to be driving through the town the whole book? <laughs> it could have worked. I'm not saying it wouldn't have worked. Um, but let's, I'm going to read the first paragraph. Okay. Or it's actually the whole page, but I'm not going to read that much. I'm going to read a few lines. Tommy Guptel had once owned a dairy farm. That's the past, right? Which he'd inherited from his father, deeper past, and which was about two miles from the town of Amgash, Illinois. This was many years ago now, but at night, Tommy still sometimes woke with the fear he had felt the night his dairy farm burned to the ground. That's a br- that's a bridge jumping versus mm-hmm. a dinner scene, right? But the ho- but the driving is the anyway. The house had burned to the ground as well. The wind had sent sparks onto the house, which was not far from the barns. It had been his fault. He always thought it was his fault because he had not checked that night on the milking machines to make sure they had been turned off properly. And this is where the fire started. Once it started, it ripped with a fury over the whole place. They lost everything except for the brass frame to the living room mirror, which he came upon in the rubble the next day and he left it where it was. And it, and it goes on, but I mean, though that's like half of the opening paragraph, but it's this, so it's this story in the past. So then we're, he's driving in to do errands and pick up a scarf for his wife for her 82nd birthday. We know he's never, we learn he's never told her. We don't, his experience. This, this sort of. But we know that his, that experience is what has kept him emotionally afloat for decades. 
Right. And that's the stakes where he is at, right? We see it almost immediately once, I don't want to give away everything, but he makes a decision that impacts that, the efficacy of that particular story he tells himself. And um, it impacts him. And so that conversation isn't just a conversation about sitting in uh, a car with a person whose father was weird and whose mother was terrible. It was also about his understanding of his almost entire life at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, So that the stakes in that conversation, whether he chooses to or chooses not to reveal this, depends... Uh, well, impacts that piece his entire life. Right. And I'll just, Even though he's sitting in a car. I'll just read this one sentence. He had felt the presence of God. So, he, so that, that night as he's watching the house burn, sort of God comes to him and says, everything's going to be okay. Or it's all right. It's all right, Tommy. He had felt the presence of God since, at times, as though a golden color was very near to him. But he never again felt visited by God as he had felt it that night. And he knew too well what people would make of it. And this is why he would keep it to himself until his dying day, the sign from God. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's so it's also become part of his character. Right. Right. And we're getting a character change. So here's it's and you know, here's one of the rules of who he is mm-hmm. and one of the things he's decided. And when he faces the possibility of changing that and not once but twice in this story, does he face the possibility of making a different choice than the one he's sort of committed for decades now to and and thinking he's going to do till his dying day. That's really about this huge character change, mm-hmm. which which so we have this fire in the past, but this is just this simple moment of human interaction in a truck and then later at a table. But it carries the weight of decades. It carries the weight of the past and also of his character. It's the mm-hmm. stability of his character. Like you said, it's what's kept him afloat. It's what makes him who he is. And it's also this commitment he's made to himself. Mm-hmm. So that is like huge stakes. Right. And the other the other thing about this this story is that he um, he he you know there's he's acting out of obligation towards this guy Pete and um I just say you're just given all kinds of spoilers well, it's from this. The, it's the first story, so you can read on. But 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 I just think he struggles so much with that and with being honest to himself. So there's just I guess a piece about self honesty that for this mm-hmm. character at least that he's really um, self aware and and honest with himself and sometimes uncomfortable with his own honesty, right? So that he becomes sort of an antagonist and to his own protagonist and that sort of raises the stakes as well elizabeth strout is a great place to turn for those models of those plain they they, what is the word sort of disarmingly simple language but at the same time completely accessible in terms of its like emotional presence and your presence in, in in that character's mind and um it's those sort of that deceptive mastery that is it makes it a great example. Say more about deceptive mastery. Oh, it's just that thing. You know, you read some of Shakespeare's sonnets and you're like, oh, they're just so plain in some ways. And yet their brilliance is actually the simplicity with which he's, you know, you think about some lines and, you, and you know, like my mistress is nothing like the sun, right? Mm-hmm. My mistress's eyes, eyes are, are nothing, nothing like, like the, the sun. sun. Simple, 
totally accessible language and yet just kind of awesome. You know what I mean? And so I just, I think that what I mean by deceptively simple is just, it, it takes a mastery to be that clean mm-hmm. in your language mm-hmm. and yet to evoke that kind of, I think in Shakespeare's, it's less subtext in, in the sonnets than a, um, than say Elizabeth Stroud. But well, he, there, like he's he's playing with the cliches, right? And this is this is what you're going to think if you're in love with somebody. And he's saying, well, no, like right, right, so. playing with the expectations. Of- and so expectations are huge here too. I mean, yes. that's the, the past. That's what the past brings with it in a way are expectations. So whether your character is going to make a decision to leap off a bridge or not, or whether they're going to make a decision to share a, a secret of many decades in a quiet way um there's what you think there's what they think and what you think what they're certain of and what you come right. to believe and what they and- think often directs your reader's expectations right? right so he doesn't think he's gonna reveal this and yet there he is there's the bush butch cassidy sundance kid moment where he's like i i don't know how to swim right and and um yeah and that's a great set right because the great outdoors guys right they're being chased they're being shot at they're on the edge of a cliff and he's like I don't know how to swim and Butch is like hell the fall will probably kill you <laughs> and so <laughs> it's but that those things that we hang on to and it's it's you know he he does end up making the choice or getting pushed <laughs> Uh, but basically, no, he jumps off. But I think this is what's important, is that it's not the leap of the height. It's the history. I don't mm-hmm. know how to swim. And the character changing action. Whatever mm-hmm. the action is, it's it's going to change who you are and how you understand yourself to be. And the truth is that can happen, like, in a small moment. Right. Uh, you know, walking the dog. Or it can happen in a dramatic moment, dr- jumping over a cliff. Right? And yes. so... But, but it can also fail to impact. So if we just saw two guys run up and jump over a cliff, who cares? Right. It's exciting. Are they going to live or die? It might be a question. But it's not. it doesn't have the weight of the history and the, the dilemma in it. Right. And so, you know, if you have a character jumping off of a bridge, establishing that they are afraid of water is a great way to go. <laughs> establishing they're afraid of heights. Establishing that uh, something that would contradict that choice, um, not just because of the situation, but but because of who they are as a character. Right, right. right. So that the, whatever the action is, it's going to strongly impact the character. And then the action doesn't have to be huge, just has to be targeted. You know, uh, we have a student in our class, Maureen, and I have to say the thing that sticks with me all the time is the story of her aunt. Uh, I don't know if it's quite apologizing, but but at the dinner. And that the, the choice that the aunt makes to whisper to uh, a, a sister-in-law, I think, of... Anyway, anyway, Spoiler an aunt <laughs> to to share that and to say I've done such terrible things. Mm, but to I think say that's it in her hospital room. But in any case, no, I thought there was one at dinner where she said that. 
Maureen, you can help us get clear on that. But that's the kind of thing where you have a character who's been proud and who's done held up a facade in so many ways, even within herself, to have a moment of, of that kind of clarity and to share it in what might be perceived even as a somewhat humble way. It's, it's a radical shame. change, yeah. character change. It's that same thing. It's breaking right. one of your cardinal rules of who you understand yourself to be and right. if we can do that then we then there's there's hope for humanity right and that's what story or, is about or re- in in the reverse sometimes people do terrible things they could not imagine they would ever have done right um so that's story too yeah yeah well let's wrap up with steal this bum, bum, bum. you get to go first all right um amateur poets bar professional poets steal what have we come across that we'd like to take and make our own so i actually am going to take something different from elizabeth strout's brilliant uh collection anything is possible and i just want to say that like i it's like it doesn't even say it's stories because um because it's one of those things where it's it's kind of a novel and kind of stories like like a and it's easier to, it's easier to market. <laughs> well, we just live in a time that is episodic. We're we're all like really fragmented. Well, we're also like golden age of television. We're all really interested in episodicness, and this is anyway. So I don't know. This is one of those borderline books, but. Um, one of the things I love is that this, so I had listened to it and then our book group did it. So I kind of reread slash scanned through it again. And, um, this very first story that we've been discussing called the sign, um, has so much in it that, that, that in my sort of recollection of it was almost like a whole arc, right? I mean, it's Mm -hmm. almost the whole arc of a novel, but it's, it's right up front and so much happens. I mean, not only for, for Tommy, the main character, but even for Pete and, um, and and Shirley, the wife. Yeah. And even Mark, I mean, they're just, there's just, even again, even though it's this kind of small thing, there's so much kind of character. Think about that beautiful moment when he's in the store getting the scarf, right? Yeah. And, and that simple line, how he understood suddenly, can you find the line Uh, for that? I perhaps can. Um, so it's just a, it's, uh, an economy here. So she, so she, here she said, pulling out a red scarf that had a design with gold threads running through it. Tommy held it, but picked up a flowery scarf with his other hand. Maybe this, he said. And Marilyn said, yes, that looks like Shirley. And then Tommy understood that Marilyn liked the red scarf herself, but would never allow herself to buy it. Marilyn, that first year Tommy worked as a janitor, had been a lovely girl saying, hi, Mr. Guptill, whenever she saw him. And now she'd become an older woman, nervous, thin, her face pinched. Goes down a little bit more. And then, so Tommy held the the red scarf with the gold threads for a minute as though considering it then said i think you're right this one looks more like shirley and took the flowery one to the register yeah yeah so much sort of compassion right and just those those moments of him as an observer and getting that sense i mean how well you must know somebody to to understand you want this. You right? want this, yeah. So, so for me though, uh, what I what I actually want to take is, is that courage to like l- let a lot happen. And again, even if, as our listener was asking about, it's it's not on a on the farm. There is the farm burning down or whatever, but it's also it's on the character level to let a lot happen because story you know, is made up of those moments of significant change. And sometimes mm-hmm. they're very quiet and subtle and subtextual, but they're always significant. 
that's the part we leave in, right? And we <laughs> right. And then there's this there's a different level as well. And and when I first heard the question, I actually thought it was about how do you choose that detail mm-hmm. that reflects. How do you choose the scarf? Mm. How do you choose um, the sign? Right? There's how do you choose that detail? And and I it's you know one of those things where we have so much of writing actually is intuitive. Mm-hmm. No matter how intuitive or planny you are, a ton of it is intuitive. So I think regarding that, you know, again, you might have some metaphors that are going through your book as you write and you might start to see that certain characters are associated with certain things for you Um, but that again going back to revision and and that that moment of making a a solid choice what does a scarf mean how does it feel in the hand what is you know it to be in a store with this person how would that scene have been different if he had chosen a dress Mm. And and or what you know what was the list of things that this character Tommy would have chosen for his wife? Right, right. Yeah, and and I think too that that the intuition piece reminds me that we all, however we get there, whatever planning we do or don't do, you you know we have to go to the page, and mm-hmm. and it's really scary to get to the page and to think about the page but when you're on there and that intuition is coming up bubbling up and you're getting those images and you're letting them flow because mm-hmm. there's there's like a dream logic to it that you're sort of trusting that you can f- sort of fish through later that's a lot happens there and so it's just like skipping over all the rational mind's objections to the whole act of mm-hmm. writing and just doing it. right I think it's sort of interesting because I think scarves are sort of nothing gift. Like, <laughs> you know. But you're not Marilyn. I am not. Um, okay. So for me, I honestly, I think I don't have a steal this yet. Well, you were talking about You can steal that thing. Okay. The, that you were just talking about. The intuitive object exploration or whatever I'm not stealing that steal a scarf steal a scarf I'm gonna steal a scarf (laughs) so don't tell anyone (laughs) all right and you all go but what I wanted to say about why I'm not stealing anything is because I haven't been actively sort of filling the well and so as I fill the well this week I am no doubt going to come across many things that I will want to steal but I have to fill the well first. Yeah. yeah. So go, go, um, literarily shoplift your heart out and have a great week. See you next week. <laughs>